Welcome to Keep the Game Beautiful podcast. Each week, I highlight incredible people who are doing amazing things in soccer, the beautiful game. I'm Anna Turi, your host. Thank you for listening. Today, I'm talking with Lisa Cole, a fellow goalkeeper. And talking with fellow goalkeepers is probably one of my favorite people to talk with. And I've said that time and time again. It's just so much fun to learn from someone that is put in a similar situation as you. For a field player my age, it would be so beneficial to hear from another field player about what they do on the field and how they recover from mistakes. Because each player and each person reacts differently depending on their space, depending on who they are as well. We talk about learning about recovering from mistakes and how to do that. And that's one of my huge struggles. I don't know if it's just from past experience or if it's because I'm a perfectionist by nature, but I do struggle with it. I don't want to let people down and it can be hard. It can be stressful. But Lisa mentioned something about a mistake ritual and you'll learn more about that later. But that really set with me and I was able to kind of figure out what I do after I make a mistake and how my body language looks. And that kind of helped me recover from mistakes and learn from them as well. Of course, we also talk about confidence. Confidence as a goalkeeper is important. Confidence as a coach, a referee, a field player. Confidence is very important in general. And sometimes you do have to fake it. And when you fake it, it makes it look like you're confident and then you start to feel confident inside as well. I know I did that many times this past weekend as I was officiating a few games. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Today's guest is Lisa Cole. Lisa played goalkeeper at Pacific Lutheran University. Her first role as head coach was at University of Rhode Island. She was the assistant coach for the Boston Breakers under Tony DiCicco for three years and then was the head coach of the Boston Breakers. She is coach at Papua New Guinea uh, U-20 Women's National Team and has earned her USSFA license. Now she's the head coach of Antigua and Barbuda's Women's National Team. Lisa, I'm wondering if you'd like to add anything or talk about what got you to where you are today. No, um, that was very good. I'm impressed. Um, yeah, I think for me, the biggest thing has been my passion for the game. I love the game. Um, like you, I was uh, pretty young when I started coaching. Um, so I just fell in love with the game. I fell in love with coaching. I enjoy um, working with people. And I've just been really lucky to have great mentors. I think that's been the greatest part of my journey is just being around really great people. On this podcast, I always start with the same three questions. First, what does the beautiful game mean to you? Yeah, I think it's where I found family, to be honest. I think um, the game has given me so much of the people that I hold close and think of as family. So I think it's given me that over the course of time. It's given me confidence. I think in my um, life, when things are good or bad, there's always the game. Right. So it's something that's consistent and constant for me, which has been really important in my development as a person. And um, yeah, some of the best people I know are in the game. So um, it's really my kind of lifeline. The people that I trust are in the game. And um, yeah, it's been a unique opportunity for me to grow up as a player than a coach. And um, yeah, it's been fun. I love the game. What are actions or things you do to keep the game beautiful? 
Yeah, for me, I think it's um, about always being a learner. I, like you mentioned, I was um, mentored by Tony DeChico, and I think that was one of his greatest attributes was just how he um, always strived to know what was current in the game, um, to keep things realistic and keep perspective on the game. And for me, the biggest thing is the game's really about people and about relationships. And so, um, you know, I think to Tony and my other mentor, Dr. Colleen Hacker, wrote a book called Catch Them Being Good. And it's easy for us as coaches or people to point out all the mistakes players make or the things that didn't go well, what we have to fix. But sometimes it's just remarkable to go back and look at the things that really went right. Um, what were the th things or the moments that um, were really special, regardless of results? And um, yeah, always striving to, you know, continue learning, be my best self, and then make sure that um, each moment I'm not, not taking for granted really keeps me grounded in things. How do you encourage others to keep the game beautiful? Yeah, I think um, one, I think my example helps help some that, I, you know, I'm um, very much, much somebody that uh, goes in and if, if I'm going to ask you to do something, I want, I want to have done it before or um, be willing to do it myself. So I think that's important to encourage other, others to do those things. And I think for me, it's about br sometimes bringing opportunities to the game. I think both in Papua New Guinea and within ABFA now within Antigua, we're trying to provide women specifically opportunities that they maybe wouldn't necessarily have um, without the game, whether that's education. I, certainly I have an education because of the game because I was able to get a scholarship to go and play. I wouldn't have had a college degree without the game. So I think providing people opportunities is something that um, I, I try to strive for and I think the game does. And um, I encourage others to look for ways that they can pass on opportunities for others. How can you not just look for things for yourself, but how can you uplift others and find opportunities for others um, within the game and even without the game um, because of your connections in the game. Starting off, you mentioned you started coaching when you were younger. How did you first get into coaching? Yeah, that's funny. Um, I started coaching when I was actually probably your age. I was um, in um, middle school and I was out training by myself out on the field and a poor dad was coaching some six to seven year olds and had no idea what he was doing. So he just asked me, he's like, Hey, can you come over and show them some moves, show them what you're doing? Um, so I went over and started just messing around with them and showing them stuff. And I immediately fell into, fell into uh, love with just teaching the game. And so I kept showing up. They trained every Tuesday. So I just came out every Tuesday to the same field and kept coaching with them. And eventually they asked me to start coming to their games. And um, so then I ended up going to the games and coaching in the games. And then the rest is kind of history. I ended up coaching um, with that guy, Rick uh, Fox. I was his um, assistant coach and he was my assistant coach with his daughter's team. So his son's team I was his assistant and with his daughter's team, he was my assistant. I coached all the way through um, high school. And then when I was in college, I, I continued coaching from there. So um, yeah, I, I started really, really young and just fell in love with it, like I said. When you were coaching when you were younger, I know sometimes when I'm in a room, I struggle being so young, like wanting to voice my opinions. Are you able, were you able to voice your opinions? 
Yeah, I think um, I had good uh, support system around me. And again, you know, I was in an environment where I was helping out a parent coach who um, experience in the game, um, at at least that initial season um, wasn't as great. So I had an expertise maybe in like how to do a step over, but he had an expertise in how to organize a drill and how to put things together. So we kind of married our strengths. Like I could do the demos and show him some things, but I really didn't have any coaching um, background at that time or any sense of how to actually teach. Um, So I was kind of learning as we went and especially with the boys, like the best thing was when I just jumped in with them and played and I was better than them. So right away that that gave me um, like some sort of credit, credit. Okay. You know, she beat me. So I have to listen to what she has to say, because maybe there's something to learn there. So, yeah, I think that's just part of your journey. I think whether it's age or inexperience, they're both the same, right? You're, you're a, uh, young, but you're also inexperienced. So as you grow, um, things will become more uncomfortable and um, you're going to be so far ahead of your peers um, for having coached, started your coaching journey early. What advice would you give a brand new, maybe younger coach when they first start out their journey? Yeah, I think um, be organized, show up prepared. That's one thing you can control. There's um, a lot of things that will get thrown at you, but come with a plan, know what you want to accomplish within the session, um, know how you're going to organize the players um, and be really organized in routines. Like I think every team I've coached, um, we have sort of a routine. Players arrive to the field, what are they going to do first? They're going to sit down, put on their shoes, whatever, When they're ready to play, they line up their bags. And that's how I know. Everybody's bags are lined up. I know training's ready to start. Um, And I I tend to, um, with U.S. soccer now, they have the play, practice, play. I think that's helped a lot of um, young coaches or coaches coming into um, the game because if you set up the fields ahead of time and the kids can arrive and play, that gives you some buffer. So if you're not – unsure of your field size or things have changed for you and you have to make adjustments on the fly um they can keep playing while you make those adjustments right and um i think that that's really helped inexperienced coaches and young coaches out um but come with a plan know what your one or two three two to three things that you want to get out of the training session are and then at the end of training same thing have a routine okay we come in at the end of training ask the players um, what they think of training, what, give me one or two things that you think, um, we did well today. Um, what, what did we learn today and send them home having had a good time that ultimately when we're in youth, um, football or youth soccer is about sending the kids home, having had a good time and having learned something. When coming up with a coaching plan, what are the best, what advice would you give a coach to organize their thoughts and keep everything and write it down on paper or something? Yeah, I think there's two steps to organizing a plan. I think there's a seasonal plan. So, um, you know, if your season's eight weeks or if your season's six weeks or you're going to go out and have a three month uh, season, figure out what your season plan is going to be. What are the things at that age? should the players be learning technically, tactically, you know, within the four corners? Um, What are the things you want to get out of the team or see out of the team socially? Um, And then 
how are you going to make those things happen over the course of the season? And if you block in, you know, every two weeks, we're going to um, do something that's a little more social as a warm up to add, get to know you into the session. If I um, plan out a set, uh, how I'm going to develop leadership within my year or within my season, that's a really good way to do that. Okay, I'm going to have a captain each week. And I'm going to ask them to do these three things to demonstrate leadership. I'm then teaching leadership, right? So when you think of those, when you think of, okay, I have to teach technical skills. I have to get the tactics right. I've now got to physically make sure the demands match the age group. And now I've got to teach these social or life skills. That's a lot of things to handle. But if you map it out at the beginning of the season, say, okay, this season at this age, we're going to tackle leadership or teamwork, then each week figure out how are you going to include teamwork in at the end of your session or the beginning of your session. And then it's not really a problem. If you know that your kids need to learn, you know, five to six skills over the uh, take on moves over the course of a season, you want them to end the season with five or six takeover things. How are you building in reminders of those skills? in your warmups or in your activities. Because what happens as soon as the game start is we get focused on what happened in the game and how am I gonna fix what happened in the game? So having that season plan of like broader picture and scope that looks at what do I really need to be focused on? Then the game gets over, you're in week three, you look at what you're supposed to do in week four and you go, oh yeah, I need to do these two things. And then I go back to the game and say, okay, I've got to work on these things for us to have a better performance on the weekend. So I think it's important to marry those two ideas is how do I improve our performance on the weekend so that we see um, significant improvement, but also how do I make sure I'm teaching what they're supposed to be learning at that age, that time, and have I covered uh, things in all four areas? How important is it that we not only focus on soccer, but we focus on keeping the game fun and things like teamwork or maybe other life skills? I think it's really important. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the statistics, but uh, and I don't know have them right in front of me, but you know, some less than ten percent or twenty percent of um, players that are playing currently in youth soccer are going to play in college, and like less than one percent are going to play in pros, right? So if you think about what the value is in sport, it is, hey, I enjoyed it. I had a good time. It's something I went and did with my teammates and it helped me become a better teammate, helped me deal with loss, helped me um, celebrate and be a good sport when I win. Um, you know, it helped me to respect others. It, so there's all these things that sport brings that aren't about going and playing at the next level, but are just about you developing as a human being. And um, I think sport can bring out really a negative side of human nature at times when it's really competitive, a lot of things are on the line and it can be a remarkable teacher in how to deal with stress, deal with things that are out of our control, you know, control the controllables. My co college coach would say that all, all the time, control the controllables, we can't control this, can't control this, we can't control these things. Well, that lesson's gonna live with me and my teammates for life. 
you know, so when things aren't going well in other things, I can go back to, okay, what do I have control over? I have control over these three things. Okay, fix those three things. Now the situation's better, right? So, um, yeah, I think there's so, I think really that youth sports has kind of lost its way, especially youth soccer's lost its way and what it's supposed to really bring um, players. And, and that is, some a sport or a place where they can go and um, enjoy their friends, enjoy the game, and um, just take risks and have enjoy enjoy themselves. So, I want to talk a little bit about your playing journey and also just being a goalkeeper in general. As a goalkeeper, how did you handle pressure on the field? That's one of my main questions as I'm starting at my high school season that I'm a little nervous for coming up. Yeah, I mean, the goalkeeping position is unique, right? Because you're by your, you're part of a team, but you're by yourself. You wear a different jersey than everybody else. And um, when you make a mistake, um, that usually sees your team giving up a goal where, you know, forward misses a shot, it's a bummer, and people go, ah. Oh. But then it's, it's not reflected on the scoreboard necessarily. Only, only their successes are reflected on the scoreboard and celebrated. So... Um, yeah, goalkeeping is a unique position. So I think that helps people deal with the stress of, um, of so many things, right? And for me, when I approach my season, again, going back to what you can control, how do I improve myself? Um, those would be things that I'd worry about. Was I better today than I was yesterday? Um, really try to avoid comparing games the comparison game. So I looking at myself in comparison to somebody else never helps anybody. So the real key is, okay, how do I improve myself? How do I look to um, do the things that I can to make myself better? And ultimately by making yourself better, making your teammates better, um, you'll help your team succeed, right? Taking a little bit of a step back, how important is the mental side of the game for goalkeepers specifically? Yeah, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on uh, the mental side of the game and goalkeeping. I think it's uniquely um, challenging for goalkeepers um, because there's a couple things that happen, right? When do you start playing in goal? You start playing in goal after you've already been playing the game for a long time. So you play five, six, seven, eight. You don't add goalkeepers till later. Um, so it's everybody is playing the position um they're learning the position later in the game than an outside back or forward. They already know some of the skills. So I'm learning to catch when everybody already knows how to, how to kick the ball. Right. So I think it's important that goalkeepers can put themselves ahead by being um, a good soccer player, right. Especially today, you have to be able to play with your feet. You have to be able to um, understand the game and not just stand in the goal and make safe. So I think it's important that, um, you prepare yourself that and then have a mistake uh, ritual routine because you're going to make mistakes, right? Um, again, my college coach, Colleen Hacker, she goes, you know, just check your belly button. Do you have one? You know, you're, human be you're a human being and human beings make mistakes. So if you're a human being and you, you're you know you're going to make mistakes, then have a ritual for it. Okay, I made a mistake. What's the first thing I'm going to do? Um, when she was working with the U.S. national team, you would see players like, pick up a blade of grass and throw it, you know, and toss it away. Or you would see people, um, she would say, you know, park it for now. Don't, we want to learn from our mistakes. So 
but park it for now, leave it there, go back to the game, deal with what you need to deal with right now. And that's not making sure that one mistake doesn't turn into two and three and four mistakes, right? Let, let it go. And then we'll come revisit it and practice and we'll see what we need to improve. I think those things are um, really important for young goalkeepers and young players in general, right? Young, everybody makes mistakes. So how are you gonna handle it when you have a routine that you go through? And then um, you really need to think about how you talk to yourself, right? Do you have positive self-talk? Because sometimes the things we say to ourselves in our heads are things we would never say to others, right? And if we shouldn't say them to others, we shouldn't be saying them to ourselves. So really try to manage what you're saying to yourself when you make mistakes, you know? What would you tell a teammate if they made a mistake? You know, you'll get the next one, those type of things. So try to do that with yourself. When a mistake is made in a team that doesn't have a great team atmosphere, how deteriorating it can it be on a goalkeeper? Yeah, it's really bad, right? On a goalkeeper or anybody, right? Um, the worst environment is where you're fearful of making mistakes. So if you think about anything um, that you've taken on um, to try to learn, when you're learning and if someone's over you pressuring you, it's more difficult right? Even if I know how to do something and someone's over me yelling and screaming at me, or I know if I make a mistake, someone's going to uh, blame me. Um, it makes it really difficult for me to be successful. And so I think um, changing culture so that it's a uh, uh, environment where you feel safe to take risks um, is the only place that you'll get people's uh, best performances. Otherwise, everybody's playing scared. And when you're playing scared, you play safe. And so that means that you might not do some brilliant things. You might not try some brilliant things because you're trying to um, just avoid making mistakes, right? You gave a little advice on how to help with mistakes and making mistakes and kind of the mentality after that. But how can we help people that lack confidence while playing? Yeah, I think that um, goes back to um, looking at yourself, I think if you don't believe in you, how do you expect others to believe in you, right? You really need to be, especially as you get older, when you are um, young, you know, you have advocates, you have your parents advocating for you, you have teachers advocating for you, um, you have grandparents advocating for you. Um, but as you get older, really, when you put yourself out there and you start to do things, who needs to be the biggest fan of you has to be you. Because if you're asking me for a job or you're asking me to be the starting goalkeeper on my team and you don't believe in yourself, then how am I supposed to believe in you? How are your teammates supposed to believe in you? And so the truth is, is what comes first? It's almost a chicken and egg. Does the confidence come first, right? Do people build you up and then you're confident or do you portray confident? And again, I'll go back to my college coach, coach. Wow. She, she her and between her and Tony, they um, basically formed all of my uh, coaching. And that is, she would always say to fake it till you make it, right? And you'll listen to things the national team will say, they'll say the same thing, fake it till you make it. So sometimes you just have to take a deep breath, let the nerves settle and go ahead and fake it. I am confident. So go back to that self-talk. I am going to be good. I am 
And um, Tony always said to us, and um, he lived this with the national teams, he said, um, train hard enough that you deserve to play well. Train hard enough that you deserve well. Do the work so that you deserve it. You deserve a good performance. You're prepared. So it comes down to all those things. Confidence comes with being prepared. Confidence comes with knowing you worked hard. Confidence comes with knowing, um, believing in yourself. Even if sometimes that means you're faking it a bit. Yeah. What are the first steps a coach should take if they see a player that with low confidence or a player that continues to lose their confidence? Yeah, I mean, I would go back to rituals again. I think, um, you know, whenever you start to get into your own head, it can be very quick, right? That you start to beat yourself up and you start to pull away from people. And I, so I think the thing is, is to recognize that, again, we are human. We are going to make mistakes. And so how are we going to, ha- when the mistake happens, how do we handle those mistakes? And it's not go kick the goalposts, not punch the ground. Um, which all goalkeepers have been uh, guilty for, but it's, you know, get up, grab the ball out of the net, give it to your teammate or, or pass it up to the referee and then take a big uh, breath and stand tall. Like, Hey, you're fine. And if that's, a, if you do that just by standing tall, put your head, chest out, all of a sudden what happens to you? You go from being this strong, unconfident person to, okay, I already feel better about myself, right? I already feel better. So um, I think it's about creating rituals on building confidence and then um, making sure that um, you put in the work to then improve after those mistakes were made. As a coach of both field players and goalkeepers, do you prefer one or the other? Um, I prefer when they're both involved, to be honest. I Like I've gotten to a point now where, you know, I. The individual goalkeeping um, training sessions where you're just getting a ball kicked at you and you slide over here, get a catch, slide over there, get a catch. Yeah, those are nice for warm-ups. But I think in training now, the goalkeeper has to be a part of what you're doing. If they're going to be starting your attack, if they're going to be the ones uh, organizing your defense as teams are coming at you, they need to be a part of both sides of the game and involved in what you're doing within your team. So. For me, I enjoy it best when I'm kind of doing a bit of both Um, because I think that it just naturally will take a look at what the goalkeeper's doing and where their positioning is. I'll naturally go and stand behind them a lot of times to just see what's happening from their perspective. So uh, I enjoy it all. At the beginning, you mentioned how important your mentors have been throughout your whole journey. Who have some of your mentors been? Yeah, I mean, I think the first one would be um, Dr. Colleen Hacker. She was my college coach, Pacific Lutheran University. I grew up in Washington State, so there's actually a ton of people um, now looking back on my career that I got to play for or coached in and around me, coached me in ODP just from Washington that um, were real quality coaches. And then obviously Tony's been my biggest mentor. Um, He's brought me up through – got me my first college job to um, work in camps and just getting to spend good quality time with him in and around about talking goalkeeping, but also then being his assistant in Boston and then him uh, choosing me to um, take over for him as a head coach after he, um, he retired. Just really, he, he, he was somebody that um, 
was unique and really cared about people and cared about the people um, on his teams. And so um, I would have to say those were my biggest mentors. What did Tony do that really helped to develop so many different coaches? Yeah, um, I was talking with some people about this the other day, actually, and I think it's just his compassion, to be honest. I mean, the guy was a brilliant tactician. He did all these things. But at the end of the day, he really related to people as people. And I think that's what made him a good coach. You know, there are times when, you know, we're walking out to the field and I, I look out and I'm running to catch up with him because he's already carrying the ball bag out so I can take the balls off of him. If we're transitioning from one session to the other, we have like five equipment managers over there and he'll be like, Hey, Lise, let's grab, let's grab the goal and move this goal it needs to be moved forward. Okay. Well, let's move the goal when we have people to do that, but his just, again, his servant leadership, like his, I'm part of the team. You know, he, he wasn't somebody um, that wasn't afraid to get in and do the work and to show that he was um, with them, right. He was with the team, not, I'm, I'm the co coach and I have all the answers. And then I think one thing um, you would talk about making mistakes or being human, um, you know, he didn't make a ton of mistakes, aches, but he, in the games, but anytime he did make a mistake or if he um, treated someone poorly during the heat of the moment, he always apologized. He apologized or he would get in front of, of the, the team and say, you know what, that was a bad call. We shouldn't have, we shouldn't have um, went man to man there. Or we gave up a bad goal, but that was my choice, not your choice. You did what I asked. And, and so he just took responsibility, you know, and um, I think that was really something that was remarkable about him. You mentioned that he helped you get your first collegiate role. What was it like making your first almost big coaching debut? <laughs> yeah, so I, it's a funny story. I didn't have any idea that I was going to, I literally got the job in August and I went from do, finishing my internship with Soccer Plus to going down to Old Miss to interview. I had my flight packed from Connecticut to um, Oxford, Mississippi, back home to Washington because I figured if I, if I didn't get the job, I would just go back home. And I ended up staying with my bat, I just had what I had for the summer packed um, to live there. So it was um, really remarkable. I was really lucky um, to work with Steve Holman. He started the Old Miss program and Jay Antlick. And we were all three young, eager coaches. And so we just, we just ate it up. Like we wanted to be in the office every day. We go on the golf. I learned how to golf there because the guys used to, Jay and Steve would go golf at lunch and they'd come back with a practice plan already done. And so I had to learn how to golf because if not, I wasn't going to be involved with planning practice because they were like, oh, sorry, we just ended up talking about it on the course. So I was like, oh, I got to find a way to learn how to golf. So that's how I learned how to golf. Not well, but I learned how to swing the club. So like, it just was a real we, yeah, we just all were um, eager to do well and um, eager to start something special and to build something um, that was unique because the program was brand new um, and playing in the SEC. So, yeah, it was good. It was, it was a really neat experience. Um, I look back fondly on my time um, at Old Miss.
Can you talk also a little bit about your time at Boston Breakers and some of your favorite memories of those times? Yeah, I mean, the Boston Breakers was unique because um, the first, at first I was in the WPS, right? So um, before the NWSL, we were in the WPS. And that league really was, I think, one of the best leagues um, ever in women's soccer with the high-level players that we were able to get in. Um, the English league wasn't really started yet, was amateur. Um, and so all the best players in the world wanted to be in the WPS and women's um, professional league. So um, the level of which of the players that we were coaching, we had Kelly Smith on that team, Alex Scott on that team, um, along with all the international or international stars, we had the U S stars, right? Christine Lilly um, played on that team. Um, yeah, Angela Hookley's Leslie Gow. I mean, I can't even mention all of them. Heather Mitz was on that team. So we, we just had some of the best players um, in the world in that environment. So that was really fun. The, the, those three uh, years in WPS were remarkable. Um, and then we and then we had the interim, right? We had a, a see the league folded. My first response, one of my first responsibilities after the draft as a head coach was then to call all my players that I drafted and said, Hey, there isn't going to be a league. So we then that there's that those ups and downs. Um, but the things I remember about the breakers, my favorite moments are like Tony just walking out of the field and we'd be just walking casually to the field. And all of a sudden he raises his hands in there and goes, I love my job. And you just say it like with that enthusiasm, I can't believe I get to do this for a living. Um, so those were fun. And just all the times we had a trailer at um, Harvard that uh, Joe Cummings did a great job. He wanted to make sure we had a home. So instead of having to go from one locker room to the other and always moving our stuff, they got like this three by wide trailer and they put locker rooms in it and everything. And it didn't look nice or anything, but it was ours right? is our space. And so um, I really love the moments like getting to walk from training, um, walk over to Harvard Square after training, go have lunch with Tony and the coaching staff and watch Champions League games or whatever else was on. Just those moments were really special to me. Um, in addition to the games and all the other things. Yeah, I know I've met many other former Boston Breakers players, but what is it like when you see any of your players go on and still continue to serve the game in some way? Yeah, I think it, for, for me, I was talking about this the other day, too, that um, one of my most um, proud moments is to see players find success off the field, right? They're going to be good play. They're, they come, when you coach professionally, they're all, they're arriving good players and you hope that you improve their development. You hope that, you know, you take a player and say, okay, well, maybe they could only play on the right side, but now they can play on the left side. Or, you know, they're really good getting in line, but now they can also cut inside and take a shot um, to be more dangerous in the attack. So you hope that you do those things with players. But one thing we were really proud of in Boston is just helping players um, think about their future and um, helping them in any way we could. Um, Taryn Hemmings, uh, Leslie um, Osborne, uh, Lindsay Tarpley, and um, uh, Courtney Jones all created a company called Sweat Athletics. It's a 
I don't wear makeup, but it's like a powder thing that you can that you can wear it while you sweat. Um, I think that's a really remarkable story because um, Taryn really went through the thinking process about what she wanted to be and who what she wanted to do after the games. And she actually said that in one of our meetings. I think I want to create a, um, a, a makeup brand for athletes. And then she went and did it. You know, Tiffany um, uh, <clears throat> Tiffany Weimer creating Duckney with uh, Adelaide. Um, you know, Leslie and her, all the accomplishments she's had. He Heather O'Reilly um, creating, um, uh, commentating and doing other things. Mitt's commentating. I mean, you just can you can go down the list and look at how they've reused their soccer career to then um, kind of jump off and find success sometimes in the game and sometimes in entirely different ways. You know, you look at Angela Hookley's um, doing remarkable things in the game and out of the game, you know? So it's, those things are really fun. You talked a little bit about what became before, what came before the NWSL already, but how have you seen the game grow over the years? Yeah, I think, um, well, first of all, it's just, if you look at the, we. As the U.S., we've always been more athletic than others, right? But now other countries have spent more time in developing uh, female athletes to reach their potential, so they're catching up. And I think what I you've seen within the women's games specifically is just this um, ability to do remarkable things. Like there was like this idea of like keep it simple, pass here, do this, keep it simple. But I was just watching a clip. Um, of Mexico, uh, I forget who, who hit it, where this girl just has this, you have to look it up, but it's like, hits a shot into the upper V. Female, female athletes weren't trying that shot a couple years ago. They weren't, they didn't have that type of confidence or I'm going to look at this. I'm going to, I'm going to go for this other than Kelly Smith, Kelly Smith did, but other than her, like, you know, they would have sent in a nice cross and hope one of their teammates scored it, right? Um, players' ability, range of play, so how far, how far they can play the ball from one side of the field to the other has changed dramatically. I think when I first started coaching, you know, if you had a change of point in the men's game, maybe it was two, three passes. In the women's game, maybe it was three to four passes to get from one side of the field to the other. Now we can do it in two or three. It, it's like – our ability to play the game, our technical ability has improved significantly. Um, and then the tactics have obviously um, changed as well because we've had to keep up with um, all those changes. It used to be that you didn't have to really worry. You could, you could just go and press a team, right? You think about why North Carolina was really successful early on. We would just run at them. And if you weren't a good player, you gave me the ball. Well, now... If you run at me, I go, oh, I just move out of the way. Okay. Where are, you, where are you going with all that speed? That doesn't, it doesn't phase me because I have the skill to get out of it. Right. And so now you can't, you have to pick when and where to press. You have to press together. You can't go by yourself and uh, have a player just turn over the ball um, for you. At least good players. They don't, they don't just give you the ball because you press them. So um, I think those things have changed. What are things we can do to continue to grow the women's game? I think um, it starts with funding. It starts with, you know, we talk about equality. We, you know, women need to be paid. Women need to have opportunities. 
Uh, coaches need to be um, treated professionally in the women's game um, and not just um, as afterthoughts or addition to. Um, so many times we see the coaches in the women's game, especially in the U.S., you know, you weren't good enough for our MLS um, youth academy. So here, go coach our women. It happens here. That happens overseas. Um, so let's just, uh, you're a buddy of mine. Let me here, uh, go get your experience. We saw it in England, right? You, you former, uh, former player. Hey, go, you want to go into coaching here, go get some experience coaching the women. So I think we need to treat the game with respect. And I don't think that that's necessarily happening at all levels all the time. Um, so that women are getting the best coaches, the best support systems to continue to grow the game. Going off the funding, how do you fundraise for your team in Antigua and Barbuda? Yeah, there's a couple different things. Um, some things it's easy to just, um, we go and ask, right? We, 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 we have a need, you know, the other day <coughs> I needed some uh, gloves for a player that didn't have player and didn't have the funds to do that. So I go and I ask, Hey, can, you know, people donate some things so we can have the things we want or need. Um, but we also have funding. FIFA does provide funding for women's football. So it's making sure that you um, you have to write a proposal. You have to make sure that the um, you do all the uh, come up with a plan, show them how the equipment's going to be used, kind of prove that you're using the equipment in the proper, proper way. Um, so some funding comes through uh, FIFA or CONCACAF, and then um, some of it, is um, obviously us going out and asking for donations or for support um, from others. Right now, I'm trying to start a, um, a youth league. So I need jerseys for teams. And so um, next month, I'm going to be back in the States and I'm going to do a drive for teams to go collect their or clubs to go collect their old jerseys so that there could be, you know, a center soccer or a surf cup team playing in Antigua next, um, as soon as COVID allows us to get back on the field so that, you know, clubs in the U.S. can maybe support um, our league by doing a little bit of a donation or a drive. So you have to be creative. How do you work to get people around everywhere to support your team? Yeah, I think, um, well, in Antigua, um, it's not hard because we're on a trial tropical island and so people naturally would like to come and support us because they'd like to be here or come and enjoy the beaches but I think overall it's about um, making sure that you put the players first you know what are the benefits of us investing in the players the benefits of us investing in the players is that it'll create opportunities for them players that have ha players and citizens that have opportunities um, go on to college, they get a higher education, um, and they then become better citizens, and then they become better leaders in government, or they become better employ employees. So I think, um, again, all those um, skills we talked about being important um, in youth sports is especially important in developing countries, right? So them having ac access to, um, to resources is equally important as, as us giving the resources to youth. Before we wrap up, can you go over a few of your favorite memories from Antigua and Barbuda? <laughs> oh, wow. Well, so far, um, 
I don't know. We, we, this has been an interesting journey because um, I got here, did a review, went to a U14 event with the, um, the 14s, went to a U20 World Cup or U17 World Cup qualifying, went to Olympic qualifying with the women. And then from there, then I developed a developmental plan and we started to really put the plan in place. And then COVID happened. So um, we've been off the field um, set for a year, except for, for four weeks. We got back on the field for four weeks. Um, and now we're still in quarantine now. So my brightest points to date, that St. Kitts event with the young players was really fun. Um, I saw a lot of growth and potential there. I think meeting with the coaches and watching them develop and come up with lesson plans and come up with what's going to carry this country forward um, is exciting. And I've been a part of us coming up with a, a DNA for Antigua and Barbuda, like for what our players will look like, what we want. When people talk about our national teams, men's and women's, here's what they, they say about us. That's been fun to come up with. And then those four weeks back on the field with the 17s, the 20s, and the seniors was amazing. Like um, their energy to be back on the field, uh, my energy to be back coaching. Um, yeah, it just was really exciting. So we're really eager to get back on the field at this moment in time. I have one final question, which I ask every guest. What do you hope people remember about your impact to soccer and the world? Wow, that is a big question. Um, yeah, I think, I just hope that um, people will continue to, um, I always go, I, it's hard for me to think about what my legacy will be without thinking about what Tony's legacy will be and what Colleen's impact on me will be. And I think what I hope people will remember is um, not only that, yeah, I was passionate about the game because I'm a little bit nuts about the game and um, I could probably diversify myself a little bit and be a little more well-rounded. Um, but I, that I love the game and that um, my standards were high, but I held myself to those standards. Um, I held others to those standards and all because I cared, because I wanted to see players um, be who they could be and re really reach their potential. And um, yeah, and I feel like I've not only developed um, players, but developed coaches that will then go on and do the same with their players. And I think that that would be a fitting uh, tribute that, um, yeah. I think the most remarkable moment so far in my career was that Papua New Guinea experience, like watching us change what young boys thought of young women and what their role could be in society. Like that was probably um, the biggest impact I've had in the game to date, but I hope in general, people feel like, um, man, I may not have always liked playing for Lisa or man, she was hard on me or this, that, but I'm thankful I played for her. You know, I'm think I, she made me a better coach or a better person or a better, um, soccer player, whatever it is. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well done. I really enjoyed talking about Tony DeChico. 
Tony has had such an amazing impact on so many different people. He was just honestly an overall great person. And Lisa had such a great experience with him and learned so much from him. I also really enjoyed learning and talking about the difference between coaching field players and coaching goalkeepers. I know when it comes to making those decisions, that's going to be especially hard for me because I love to do both so much. But I'll get there eventually where I'm going to have to choose one or the other. And also the women's game is always so much fun to talk about and watching it grow. I have loved seeing the NWSL back in action. I haven't really gotten a chance to watch all the games or many of the games, but I'm definitely excited to catch up on those games because I have been super busy. But again, I do love seeing women's soccer growing and continuing to go on. I hope you enjoyed the episode and until next time, remember to keep the game beautiful.